And our next speaker is uh, an MEP of Buzz MP, Caroline Lucas, MEP for the Green Party. Well, thank you very much. I do agree with what others have said, but I think one of the most frustrating things about this whole debate is not that we don't know what to do about it. We do know <coughs> what to do about it. It's about how we generate the political will to actually act. And I think that contrary to what you'll sometimes hear from governments and others, climate change isn't a technical problem, essentially. We know more or less what we need to do. It is about generating the political will. How do we really get that action fast enough? Because as others have said, we're talking about a 10-year window of opportunity in which we need to act. It's a social challenge. How do we do that in a way that's equitable, that has social justice at its heart, that is based on contraction and convergence? But it's also overwhelmingly a moral challenge. But how on earth do we continue to live with ourselves, with our current production and consumption patterns, with the lifestyles that we have, when we know that literally thousands of people are paying with their lives for the price of our lifestyles in places like Africa?
And I think if there's any, any doubt about that, then let's look at a country like China with its phenomenal growth. It's already overtaken the United States in its consumption of four of the five basic commodities, grain, meat, coal, and steel, and will overtake the US in consumption of oil by 2025. On current trends, by just over 2030, China will be consuming 99 million barrels of oil a day. What does that mean? Well, when you know that the world as a whole produces only 84 million barrels of oil a day, it is quite clear that we cannot go in that direction. Now, to say that is not to blame China, which is simply following the same development route that everybody else has, but it is to say that this model is patently unsustainable for all of us, and that we in the industrialized countries therefore have the greater responsibility to change. Because then the bottom line is that an economic system that is based on ever-increasing throughput of natural resources is patently unsustainable. And whether it's based on the assumption of Karl Marx or of Adam Smith, modern economics is still basically about more and more endless, infinite economic growth. And yet the reality is that this sort of growth is clearly impossible in a finite world. And of course to admit such a thing is you know, more or less to be heretical. It's, it's, you, you see almost every politician and economist goes great lengths trying to disprove this basic physical and biological fact. And so I think we need to be very, very clear that we need to challenge the way in which economic growth has become synonymous with progress itself. And we have to be very clear that by endlessly seeking solutions through more growth, more production and consumption, more throughput of resources, then we are being part of the problem and not part of the solution. And my third point, really, is that I think that we have to be better at selling our vision. Now, we're awfully good at painting the apocalyptic vision of what life will be like under climate change, and it's important that we do, because to some extent we need shock tactics to wake people up out of the delusion that many of them are in. But we also have to be careful that we don't terrify people so much so that the only logical reaction is simply to go down the pub and have a couple of beers and forget about it. And it's a fine line between the two. But I think one thing that we need to do better is to describe what this world that we would like to see, this low-carbon future, what would that really look like? So that people can feel that they can imagine it, that they can see it, that they can feel it, that they can breathe it. And I think we have to, in particular, be very clear that a low-carbon future doesn't have to be shivering around a candle in a cave. That is not a very uh, attractive prospect. I think we need to be able to say that some of the things that we want, many of the things that we will get to a low-carbon future are positive things in themselves. So, for example, a low-carbon future is likely to be a far more labor-intensive future. Yes, some jobs will go, obviously. Long-distance freight travel, air travel, yes, those jobs will go, but far more jobs will be created in a renewable society, in a sustainable economy, based on reusing, recycling, <coughs> things like public transport and renewable energies, all of those are far more labor intensive. It will be a world of stronger local communities, fewer people tipping out of the towns at eight o'clock in the morning, not coming back till six or seven in the evening. You'd have much stronger potential at least for stronger local communities. But there's the potential for greater social justice because who suffers most from things like fuel poverty? It's the poorest people who can't afford to insulate their houses. And I think we should be saying it's an absolute scandal that thousands of people literally every single year are dying in winter through fuel poverty in the 21st century. It will be a safer world. I mean, think about the number of wars, and we don't need to think back very far, unfortunately, the amount of conflict that is about securing our access to resources like oil uh, and so forth. So I think a world in which we were more dependent on our own resources for our renewable energies, for energy efficiency, is likely to be a much safer world as well. 
And finally, I think we could make the argument that it might just be a world where we're happier as well. And I have to say I'm a bit suspicious about this argument now that David Cameron's taken up. It always gives me a slight But many of us are saying, years before he was even thinking about it, I'm quite sure, that the current economic model is not even delivering in its own terms. That although GMP has doubled and trebled, people's sense of well-being has not. And I think that it's clear that, of course, in developing countries and in some parts of our own countries, a certain amount of growth is needed. But overall, I think it's also very clear that once basic needs are met, we're not necessarily getting any happier. So I think we need a different set of policies, and the sort of policies that we need would be ones whereby we're not all on a treadmill of producing ever more income to make ever more growth, but ones where perhaps we spend more time with our families and friends, not that people on their deathbeds think, my God, I wish I'd spent more time in the office, they're more likely to think they wish they'd spent more time with families and friends. We need an education system that enables people to realize their full potential, valuing them for who they are rather than for their performance against targets. We need to challenge the current consumer society that we live in, which defines us all as consumers. I get so angry when I'm just defined as a consumer. I am not a consumer, I am a citizen first, and a consumer second. And I think that we need to challenge the advertising industry and the whole growth ethic that we live in. And there's a lovely piece I just want to quote from Clive Hamilton in his book, The Growth Fetish which says that modern consumer capitalism will flourish as long as what people desire outpaces what they have. It is thus vital to the reproduction of the system that individuals are constantly made to feel dissatisfied with what they have. Economic growth does not create happiness. Unhappiness creates economic growth. And I think there's a, a lot in that statement for us to, to think about. So to move to my conclusion before I get hit by the lady behind me, I think we want to be more positive about that vision but we need to remember that Martin Luther King might have had a nightmare, but it's his dream that we actually remember him for, and we should go out there with a dream of a low-carbon future that we can actually sell to people. And finally, yes, the way forward is scary, but I'm reminded of the words of Rudolf Barrow, who was one of the founders of the German Greens, and he said, when the forms of an old culture are dying, the new culture is created by a few people who are not afraid to be insecure. Well, I'm sure you're probably all feeling rather insecure as well, but it looks like it's a good sign, so let's put that together we can um, move to a sense of security.